Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. On DAB Digital Radio and 1089 and 1053 AM. Fight of my life with Russ Williams and Spencer Oliver on Talk Sport. Hello there, this is another edition of Fight of My Life with me, Russ Williams, and him, Spencer Oliver, the boxing legend. Over the course of the next hour, we're going to be speaking to a former boxer. And what a story we've got for you again on this edition. It's the defining fight of their career, the build-up, the story behind it, the aftermath, and there's something really significant on this particular show. We're going to be speaking to this man... I said, please, you need to get me. I'm bleeding heavily. I've got two kids at home. I can't die. And um... The former European light middleweight champion, Jamie Moore, is recovering in hospital after being shot three times in Marbella. He had like a mask on, pointing a gun at me. Moore beckons him in. Desire a plenty for Macklin. I said it before, it'd be like two Mexicans in there. And it was... Toe to toe, exchanging with other in a dramatic fight and we have no idea what's going to happen next. Bang, I just got shot. All I remember is just hitting the floor. More tired too though. Body shots from Macklin. One of the rounds of the year. I can't keep fighting like that. I've got three more years. I promised my wife, Colleen, that I'll be done when I'm 30. I'll have to be done when I'm 30 because I can't keep fighting like that. Moore is in a stable condition but remains in hospital. I thought if I fall asleep now, I might never wake up. Well, Spencer, before we hear from the fighter known as the fighter's fighter, what fight are we going to be talking about? How well do you know him and what do you think of him? Russ, we're going to be talking about a great friend of mine, Jamie Moore, and it was his British title defence against Matthew Macklin, 29th of September 2006. This fight would go down in history. British boxing history is one of the greatest fights that two British boxers have ever produced. We got a little bit of everything. This was a real gladiatorial fight. Fantastic stuff. I'm delighted to say that Jamie Moore joins us live in the studio on Fighting My Life. Jamie, uh, I hope that you're not blushing too much. I mean, he's a big fan of yours. Oh, that's all right. We're we're, we're happy to stroke it a little bit. (laughs) I mean, it's just been the 15th anniversary of this fight, and it is, and we'll come on to it perhaps in more detail later, where we will do. It's got to be a fight that you're... I would imagine, extremely proud to have been involved in. Let's go back right to the beginning. 
when you first found out that you were going to be having this fight against Matthew Macklin, a tough customer, yeah, um, and what you thought of it, what, what was your initial thoughts? Well, I'd known Matt for a few years. Uh, he'd been training at Billy Graham's gym with Ricky Atten, and Billy and Ricky was I was friends with. I'd trained my, myself with uh, Billy for a few years before I actually turned professional. We was all friends, all friendly, and, and I was quite on friendly terms with Matt. I just had this feeling that one day we was going to fight. You know, he was around about my weight. At that point in time, he was a middleweight, but they were saying he was going to drop down. But it probably didn't seem like we would do it until later on because of the stage of career we was at. I was still British champion. I'd won the Lonsdale belt outright, and everyone expected me to move on. I would have moved on if the opportunity was there, you know, for a European title shot or something. But I was in a situation where my... Wife was pregnant with my daughter, my second child. I just had a newborn son. I just got married, and that was the only way I I, I had any, any guarantee of earning decent enough money. So Matthew was made my mandatory. Everybody expected me to just give the title up because I'd already won it outright. But Pride took over, and because we knew each other, their management team was trying to pressure us into giving it up. I was saying, well, listen, I'll give it up when I want to give it up. You're not going to tell me what to do. And they sort of said something along the lines of, well, listen, if you don't give it up, you're going to have to fight Matthew. And I was like, do you think I don't want to fight him or I won't fight him? I'm not scared of Matthew Macklin. Rang Steve Wood and went, don't give that British title up. There's no way I'm giving it up now. I'm fighting Matthew Macklin. And he's like, why? There's no, it's stupid. It's, it's a dangerous fight. It's, it's a lose-lose. It's, it's, you're not going to move on in your career and it's going to be a really difficult fight. And I said, I don't care. My pride took the better of me and um, against all my common sense, really, I went into that fight knowing it, how difficult it was going to be, but there was no way I was going to have people thinking that I'd give the title up to avoid him. Did you think, I'm more experienced, I'm the older fighter, I think I've got an edge? Oh, I, I was confident of winning it and there was, there was no way that I didn't think I was going to win. I just understood how difficult the fight was going to be because stylistically... There was only one way the fight could go, or, or two ways, really. The way it actually went, or we stand and slug it out in the way I used to fight, which was very similar to the way Matt fought, and then we just sort of roll the dice and see who comes out on top. Tell us about your training camp going into this one, Jamie. Did you do anything different to any other training camp that you'd done before? Because, like you say, you was the more experienced of the two. You was going in there with that experience, but you knew this kid was young, he was hungry, and it was a dangerous fight. Yeah. So did you have to do anything different in training to what you'd previously done before? Tactically, we went about things much differently because I was usually the one who would incorporate the style of what Matthew Macklin did where he'd, he'd, he'd apply the pressure. That was first and foremost my style of fighting. When me and Oliver stood and spoke about it in the gym, I was like, how do you think we go about this? And he said, how do you think we go about it? So I said, well, I think we, we should box him a little bit more than I usually would. I said, because he's big and strong and it's a bit of a risky tactic going in there unless I, I box him smart. And he said, if you try and box him, He'll run over you. That was his words. And I was like, right, okay. <laughs> so how do we go about it then? And he said, you've got to sit in the pocket, a little bit like James Toner. And I I love James Toner. I was a big fan of his. He said, you need to sit close, make him miss. And as soon as he stops punching, you need to make him work. He can't have any rest because he, his main attribute is his strength and work rate. But if you watch him, 
As soon as he's done his work, he steps off, and usually the opponent is happy that he stepped off because he applies that pressure, and that the the glad of the rest of themselves. You can't let him rest. You need to you need to jump on him. So, uh, so I was like, listen, you do realize that that means this is going to be a horrendous fight. And he was like, yeah, but with the tools you've got, that's the only way to beat him. So I was like, right, okay, war it is. <laughs> It was a home fight for you, so does that give you uh, more confidence? I wouldn't say confidence, but I, but I think it definitely plays a big part in a fight like that. I think if it had been in Birmingham or somewhere else and I hadn't had the support I had in the arena, that extra 2 or 3% in a fight like that makes the difference and the energy the crowd pushes you on. When you get to, in that particular fight, when you got to round 5, 6, 7 and you know, the pace really starts to kick in and you, your mind plays tricks with you. You've got the angel and the devil on your shoulder. So one one side of you is going, you can't keep doing this. And the other side is he's going, don't you dare quit. Now, once you get to that stage, instinct kicks in and nobody knows if they can actually go through a fight like that until you're in the situation. I'd been involved in fight of the year before against Michael Jones and it was only the year before. six rounds at the point in in the fight where instinct kicks in and your nature decides whether you carry on or not the decision was took away from me so I got to the sixth round then and I didn't know how I was going to respond or whether I could keep going but luckily I had a great trainer in Oliver Harrison he was very good at calming you down making you relax focused focused breathing and each time I went back to the corner I felt like it was the end of the fight or, or I had no more to give. 30, 40 seconds into the break, I was recovering and ready to go for the next round. You knew the magnitude of this fight and what Matt Macklin was going to bring to the table. Do you think that mentally helped you prepare for this fight going in? Because you knew it was going to be tough. You knew you was going to have to go into the trenches. Yeah. And through the fight, you actually showed that a number of times. Do you think yeah. that helped you? Yeah, I think experience definitely won me the fight, even though, obviously, the tactics played a big part. But... Knowing the type of fight it was going to be or expecting and anticipating the type of fight it was going to be definitely helped because I feel Matt, because of the lesser experience he had, thought he would get to me by four or five rounds, overwhelm me, be too strong, and never anticipated the fact that I would be able to incorporate the tactics I did and then still keep coming back to him every time. I feel like I was probably psychologically better prepared for that type of fight than he was. It's Friday fight night and what could be the domestic fight of the year. Jamie likes to go forward, Macklin likes to go forward, you know, so it's, I think it's going to be an absolute barnstormer of a fight and sometimes, you know, heart is definitely going to come into it at some point. I believe I'm stronger than him and I'm a better body puncher than him. We're both very aggressive, we're both good punchers. I think people think it's going to be a bit of a war. He's saying that I'm holding his career back 
Well, you know what? I'm going to put him back to the start after the end of September. Not only the Lonsdale Belters stake, but also who can walk tall, the bragging rights in a city where both these fighters train. Everything that's been said lately has just put me to the top level, and uh, I'm looking forward to September, and there's not a prayer that it's taken the British Isles. Welcome back to Fight of My Life on Talk Sport. Russ Williams and Spencer Oliver here in the company of Jamie Moore. And we're looking at Jamie's fight against Matt Macklin. Jamie, tell us about you waking up on the day of the fight. What's going through your mind? I used to sleep in a hotel uh, for six weeks before a fight. And I, and I woke up and I was, I was surprisingly relaxed. I think because... The fight had been delayed a couple of times from originally when the fight was supposed to happen. It was probably four or five months down the line. So, and I think that helped as well, sort of being able to get the tactics embedded on your mind so that you can sort of those repetitive moves. And especially if me having a fight as a defensive fighter for large parts of the fight was uh, against everything I'd done up until that point, really. So, so I think the delaying the fight benefited me. And I was just really relaxed. I remember going, I took my son out for a bit in, in the car, just wandering around in the traffic centre. And I was really relaxed. And um, the old saying, the calm before the storm, I think I did that subconsciously, knowing what I was expecting to come in the evening. So we get to the venue, you arrive at the venue, you get into the dressing room, you start to get your hands wrapped. What's going through your mind at this stage? You know, What would your general preparations be then? Over the years, even going back to the amateurs, I used to get really nervous when I first started boxing as, as as an amateur. So when I was 14, 15, 16, that sort of age, really, really nervous. And I sort of developed this distraction technique, so I'd always mess around. I was, and, and I'm still like that to this day, so I'm like a big kid, so I'd, I'd, I'd always be joking around. And I've sort of overanalyzed it, you know, looking back now, and that was definitely because... It benefited me in terms of after I'd had sort of 10, 15 fights, after the fight, I'd always think that was nowhere near as bad as you made out in the build-up to it. So it was my way of not letting myself overthink it. So I just think when I got to the change rooms for the Macklin fight, I was fooling around. I was, you know, playing pranks on people. So anyone had thought you'd have lost a plot who came in who didn't already know me. But everyone in the gym and, and me gym mates was always in that situation where I was doing it every day in the gym. So it was not, wasn't foreign to them. I watched the fight back myself last week when it was the anniversary. I've not watched it in about five years. But I watched the full show. And I seen myself in the changing rooms for the first time since, since the fight took place. I remember thinking, wow, I can't believe how focused you look. Yeah, because, you did. Yeah. I mean, and, and that was different for you completely, wasn't it? It, it was used like so you say, had to be reminded that you were like that almost from what you remembered of the fight yeah exactly so so i would never really be that sort of serious up until the point where the runner from sky would come in and go right that's five minutes and then i'd sort of go big deep breath and go right well, it's, now i can start switching on i was focused a lot longer in the change rooms for the mackling fight and i think um and that was any anticipation of what I felt like was going to happen and what actually did take place. 
This was a big fight, uh, British light middleweight title. For some of our other listeners, just to clarify, Spencer, they may know this uh, division as something else. Yep, it's recently been changed to the British Super Welterweight title, which was known as the light middleweight title, and that's what we're naming it today. OK, the venue, the George Carnell Leisure Centre in Manchester, home territory for you, Jamie. Matthew Macklin is there to fight you. You've both got pretty impressive records, and the ring walks begin. It's Macklin who makes his entrance first. Please welcome to the ring the challenger for the title from Birmingham, Matthew British title showdown. A quite crackling atmosphere here in Manchester. Entering the cauldron, Birmingham's Matthew Macklin. The usual paraphernalia enters the ring and then the siren sounds. It signifies the start of your ring walk and you look right up for it I've got to tell you yeah, yeah well, I, what I, were you thinking as you made that walk I was so focused on the fight there was no sort of outside distractions I remember enjoying the ring walk because of the atmosphere it was in a leisure centre there was literally probably 1600 people there the thriller minute seasoned domestic light middleweight champion who's made the Lonsdale belt his own he's put his heart and soul into this sport pretty fiery and accomplished box fighter with so many fans he's accepted this mandatory extreme confidence and self-belief or slightly foolhardy at this stage he should have originally been at the gmex center and there was a, a labor party conference i think it was so it was booked up so there was nowhere else to go it actually made the atmosphere better, I feel. Because the venue was so small and the bleached seats were sort of surrounding the ring, it was like a sort of gladiator's pit, really. It just shows he behaves as a fighter and a champion should behave. He has the launch deal belt outright, he's taken the British title as far as he needs to take it. Everything to lose tonight, nothing to gain. A lot of fighters in his shoes, but they've given up the British title and started chasing other titles. The fact that he's here tonight facing such a dangerous challenger, he must really fancy this job. He must be sure he's capable of hanging on to that lunch deal belt. So when you got inside the ring, you felt like the crowd was on top of you. So I think that added to the atmosphere and probably helped make the fight what it was because you felt like you was under pressure to actually perform in that situation where, you know, the crowd was baying for, for a good fight. And I'd been telling everyone who would listen for the for the build-up for, for months and months, this will be fight of the year without a doubt. It exceeded even my expectations. You enter the ring, the crowd are going absolutely wild. The first bell rings and then you come out, Macklin comes out, but Macklin comes out fast, really fast. Billy Graham, Macklin's trainer, says Moore will be very surprised by the strength of Macklin that he's used to bullying opponents. And it could come down to this power. Body shots going in from Macklin. Me and Matt was quite friendly. I actually got in the ring and I gave him a real glare. And I did it on purpose because I was trying to get a rise out of him. And this was where sort of I, I feel my experience came in. Because I wanted them to come out of the blocks fast. Because tactically, we thought He'll come out for four or five rounds, hell for leather, and then a little brick wall, and then we'll take over. The first part of our guesswork worked. 
the second part where we thought he'd hit a brick wall and not, you know, we'd not be able to fulfil it didn't work and he did kept recovering and coming back so um, but i wanted that fast start because i want tactically we wanted to not give him any rest we felt by the fourth round we'd be in control and then yeah. push on but he gritted his teeth he did the second round i mean he was fast again wasn't he i mean he, he was he was doing exactly from what you just said what you wanted him to do he set off out the block so fast he had you on the ropes didn't he these body shots from macklin he's made his intentions early and more backed up on the ropes. That was a tactic of ours because we defended ourselves on the ropes, allowing him to pressure us, emptying his gas tank. That composure there from Jamie Moore, who may have the edge in speed. Some feel Macklin is a little slow and wide with the hooks. He's like a man possessed Macklin, though. One of the things what Oliver kept saying to me, and he's something I say to my fighters a lot now is, you need to find comfort in being uncomfortable. Once you get to that stage, then how is somebody going to overwhelm you? They're not going to be able to do it. There was times, there was patches in the fight where I was thinking, this is un unrelenting and I can't cope with it. But you just, you just deal with it. We get into round three. He comes flying out the blocks again. But this time you decide to meet him head on. You both start trading massive blows. At any point in that round, did you think to yourself, this can't go 12 rounds? Absolutely. Before the fight, as I say, talking about it with Oliver tactically, we felt that by the fourth round, it'd have hit a brick wall. I could feel him slowing slightly in the third round, and I think that's why I decided to have a little nudge on him and, and try and push him back. But every time I did, it seemed to ignite a fire in him, and he came back even more. Good, clean shot there, picked by Jamie Moore. But back comes Macklin, again working the ribs, trying to... Rise open the defence and expose any vulnerability in the more makeup. Round four, you really got your rhythm going. Did you feel for you that was the beginning of the turning point of the fight at that moment, not knowing what was going to happen later in the fight? Yeah, I think I got my second wind in the fourth round. I feel like I, I started getting into a nice rhythm. But every time I felt like I was getting a foothold in the fight, he really dug his heels in and pushed me back. And then he seemed to get a, a foothold in the fight again. Then I'd sort of do the same and, and it sort of toed and froed like that. We get into round five and now you look like you're starting to really get in control. Too much steam, too early. Question mark. See, I think so. Part of that being a championship class boxer, you learn to, you don't have to fight three minutes of every round to win that round. You just have to do more than the other guy. When you know the second half of fight is going to be hard, don't make the first half hard. And I think that's what Macklin's been doing. He's getting results, he's winning rounds. He's using an awful lot of steam doing it. By the time we got to that stage in the fight, we was both really fatigued, and I think thought went out the window at that point. And that's why I was saying earlier that the longer the camp was and the more months in the build-up because of the delay suited me because it gave us opportunity to get those tactics inbuilt where you didn't have to think about them. You just reacted and did what you had to do. I anticipated it was going to be a hard fight, but to what extent, I don't really know. And like I say, it exceeded what I expected. Coming up on Fight of My Life on Talk Sport. That's it, the fight's over. I walked off and I, as I turned round, he'd not moved at all. And my heart sunk because I was thinking, oh no. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Bill Moore might be ahead, Sam Macklin, it's that sort of fight. Macklin presses forward again and backs Moore up, good body shot now. Back comes the champion, fighting fire with fire. Some blood from the nose of Jamie Moore, eye damage just underneath the right eye for Macklin. And that uppercut won't have helped that. Little bump just under Jamie Moore's eye as well to add to the drama here. That was a tough, tough round. One in my life on Talk Sports, Spencer Oliver and Russ Williams and Jamie Moore talking about a monumental fight in the career of Jamie. We're halfway through, aren't we, Spencer? Let's get back to the action. Moore against Macklin, British title on the line, round six. Macklin starts well, Jamie, but you meet him head on, but you get a cut. No concerns? Not really. As I said, thought process at that point had gone out the window. You're in a fight. I didn't know how bad the cut was, but Oliver said to me, it's not that bad. It wasn't. It was only a small little nick under the eye. And he was underneath the eye, which is obviously in a better position. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't anything to be too concerned about. Round seven. Now, this is turning into a real dogfight. Both of you guys are just really trading. You're landing some massive uppercuts. This is a hard, hard fight. And who is the harder man? With 40 seconds to go, you land a big right hand. Power from Macklin. Comes more again. Oh, this is thrilling and so brutal. Somehow Macklin is still carrying on. Did that surprise you? Yeah. Up until that point, we'd not really, we didn't really know about Macklin's chin, whether he could hold a shot. You know, all the signs were there that he was probably sturdy enough. But I really did catch him as as the fight went on and fatigue had kicked in. I caught him lovely with some really nice uppercuts and and some straight left from the southpaw stance as well and uh, yeah it just kept coming so there was there was literally up until that point nothing I could do to suppress him he just kept coming and coming just a little question away from this fight I'm sure there will be people listening to this who are boxing fans and listen to people like you and other people we've had on and what they've seen boxers look out on their feet many many 
times, don't they, in fights and have done over the years. Yeah. Where, as a boxer, do you summon up that ability to go again? I mean, how do you do it and how, how do you think other boxers I do it? I think none of us know. The, it's a primeval instinct, I feel. Why do we choose to do this sport in the first place? There's levels to everything, isn't there? And somebody who gets in an amateur boxing ring has got a lot more nerve and bottle than your average man. Somebody who then turns into goes into a professional ring in a four-rounder, and then as, as it progresses, you sort of get fewer and fewer people willing to push themselves to that point. And like I said before, I had this conversation one day in the gym with Tommy Coyle. He said, that Macklin fight, unbelievable. Do you think I'd be able to do that one day? Now, this was before Tommy had been involved in any type of fight. And I said, listen, Tom, I don't know and you don't know. You don't know the answer to that question until you're put in that situation. And you'll either answer it or you won't. I think you will because judging off your temperament, I think you'll dig deep and do it. But nobody knows the answer to that question until they're put in the situation. Luckily enough, I could answer it, but there's not that many who can do it. Round eight, you're caught with a big shot. You seem hurt, but then come right back at Macklin. Macklin is putting so much into this. Good shot. Look at this from Matthew Macklin. He is so fit. And that was so a good left hook. That was a shaker. That caught him high in the head. Matt has stunned him. Jamie Moore in a spotted brother again. He tries to come back. Great left cross for Moore. And now Macklin is wobbled. We get to the end of the round and your trainer, Oliver Harrison, says to you, that was his last fling. That was his last fling, Jamie. You know it now. Come on. This is your cycle. You go back home with his cycle. <sighs> Oliver Harrison trying to cheer up his man. How much of an impact did Oliver Harrison have on you in that corner and in your career? <sighs> It, the, the impact Oliver had on my career, on my life, not just my career, my life in general, you, I can't put a, um, a figure on it or, or I can't speak highly of him enough. And I don't think I actually appreciated it even at the time or just afterwards. I think it's always in hindsight, you look back and you think, I remind myself a lot of him in the stuff I do in the gym every day. And obviously, mm. I was with, I spent 10 years with him and him coaching me has, has had such a, a big impact. I'm now coaching his son. It's a sad story, but it's a nice story as well at the same time because he's so sad because he only ever trained with his dad. I know, and I'm safe in the knowledge, that if there was anybody else he would have wanted to train his son, it was me. We was that close. He was like a, a, another dad to me. The impact he's had on me will will last for a lifetime and hopefully I'll be able to carry on his legacy and, and it'll last for, for generations and generations. The impact he had on the fight was massive because I would have, off my, the top of my own head, would never have come up with them tactics. Yeah, And I know and understand that if I'd have gone, and f gone into that fight the way I used to box before, I would probably have lost the fight. Even though I was the one who went in there and actually did it, without a shadow of a doubt, Oliver Harrison won me that fight coming up with those tactics for the fight. Undoubted admiration, lovely words and memories about Oliver there. Back to the fight. I've got to tell you, Jamie, I, I travelled in with Spencer. We do it quite often when, when we do fight in my life. Usually he says hello, he bounces in and some freebie jacket he's got and tells me the story. <laughs> uh, but today he got on to the train and he said, round number nine. 
Oh, it's the best round in the history of British boxing history. So I've queued it up for you, Spence, and you're not wrong. No, listen, round number nine, we get into nine, for me, goes down in British boxing history as one of the best rounds. The reason it goes down for that is because you were both training on empty. How about this, Jim? This has been an incredible pace. He's hot back and he wants to be stepping back. Back he comes oh, again. Look at this from Matthew Macklin. And Jamie Moore is backed up. You look like you was in serious trouble. With about 30 seconds to go, Macklin seems to have gassed himself out. Toe to toe, exchanging with each other in a dramatic fight. And we have no idea what's going to happen next. Moore beckons him in. Desire a plenty for Macklin. This is good work from Jamie Moore. Macklin's defences are scattered here. Looking disorganised, dishevelled Macklin and holds on. Where was you finding the strength from at this stage, Jamie? Honestly, I, I, I really don't know. The only thing I can say is... Condition-wise, I was so fit for that fight. I knew I would have to have good recovery. So we'd worked a lot on recovery because we knew we'd be getting to the stage where at the end of the three minutes we were spent, but we had to make sure we had to recover in, in the minutes rest. Because of my experience and my defence, really, the big difference between us both in that fight was I made Matt miss a lot more than he made me miss. I basically landed the majority of punches I let go whereas I made Matt miss a lot. That's probably what helped tire him out as much as well. I worked the body well, I was cuter on the inside, and, and like you say, those little uppercuts, and I, I got off the ropes nicely. But experience and, and tactics, I feel, won us the fight. But you had to dig deep, didn't you? Like, I, I want you to explain like, you know, what that's like, like to, to go to a place that not any normal human being would go to like you had to go there three or four times through this fight as did as did Matt as well yeah. but your experience played a big part in that but was there times in that fight where you thought that's it I'm done I think at the end of the seventh round I went back to the corner thinking I can't do this I've, I'm spent I think what helped me get through it was how tired Matt was so you're sort of thinking hang on if I feel like this He's got me feeling worse than me. In a, in a strange way, I think it gets easier, even though it's physically harder, mentally it gets easier because you're not in there with someone who's fresh and strong and, and is going to keep coming at you. Even though you're tired, they're tired as well. So you know they're only going to put it on you for sort of five or ten seconds and then they're going to have to stop punching and get yeah. their breath back themselves a little bit, have a bit of recovery. So you know you've only got to weather a smaller storm as it goes on. And... The only time ever in a fight, I remember, I think it was the eighth round, I thought, I was actually exchanging with him and we'd sort of come to the clinch, one of the few times the ref sort of broke us. And I remember thinking to myself, Jesus, this is some fight. Mm. As I was actually in the fight. And I remember thinking it in the third Michael Jones fight as well, thinking, I hope this fight is as good as I think it is while I was in it. <laughs> and then that one sort of, I knew. I, I was like, oh, this is some fight. And the reaction of the crowd as well, you could yeah. just tell. It had a spectacular end, didn't it? Round it, 10. It's, I uh, mean, it, it was perfect for a, a fight of this quality and determination and bravery. Yeah, we get into round 10. The bell goes. 10th round, and this British... Lonsdale belt means so much to the pair of them. You both look like you've got nothing left. You land a shot first. Macklin's wobbly. He's all over the place. But somehow, remarkably, he still comes back at you. Macklin's shaken by that one. 
Yeah, good punch from Jamie Moore. Can Macklin hold on, dig deep, or will he fall apart? Looking disorganised again, Macklin. He comes back at you throwing shots, and you throw a left hand straight down the middle, probably the best left hand that you've ever thrown. Yeah. Lands flush on the chin of Macklin. He falls forward. There's no way he's beating the count. What training Matthew Macklin has done. Hats off to Billy Graham. Kerry Kay's in the team. Oh, that could be Curtis. He won't get up from that. Tenth round, Macklin's out. What was that feeling like at the end of a war like that? Well, to be honest, it was frightening. Instantly, you think, that's it. The fight's over. I walked off, and as I turned round, he'd not moved at all. And my heart sunk because I was thinking, oh, no. Because in a fight like that, you know how physically draining it is. Yeah, they've got the oxygen ready. They've removed the gun shield. They've put him out on his side in the recovery position. No signs of alarm as yet, but uh, we'll keep our fingers crossed. Jamie Moore, obviously, not in the mood to celebrate. A scene we've seen before in British boxing, a worrying time. When there's problems with people, it's usually towards the end of a fight. So it was scary, he really mm. was. Just before that, Oliver had said to me, getting off the stool, compose yourself, stick to the basics. Don't overcomplicate things at that stage in a fight when you've not got a lot of energy to waste. And I did, just kept it nice and simple, and it was just a straight one-two down the middle. But it was scary, and I tried to calm the crowd down because the crowd was going crazy because I was panicking. I was thinking, the last thing you want is someone to get seriously in a boxing ring. Luckily, after a minute or two, he was coming around and he was talking, so I went down, I spoke to him, and then I went and visited him in, in hospital. You know, I had a party arranged back at my house, um, but I rang the missus and I said, listen, I'm, I'm going straight to the hospital first before I come back. I need to make sure he's all right. I walked in the hospital. Ricky was there with Billy Graham. It, it was a bit like a, this scene out of the beginning of Rocky Two, where you sort of walk in and, and he was late. He was laying in bed and uh, both his eyes were shut and he had like an oxygen mask on. And I walked in and he just started laughing. And I was like, hell, what have we just been through? And he went, mate, if that doesn't get fight of the year, then I want to be ringside exactly. for the fight that does. Exactly. <laughs> so, uh, and then we just started laughing. And I said, you know what? I just needed to come and make sure he was okay. Give him an hug. And that's the thing, isn't it? It's the camaraderie of boxing, of yeah, being a warrior. Of course. That, that makes you sport. two really sport. good friends after this fight. When you go through an experience like that, and it's very, very difficult to explain this to someone who's not, you get a respect for them, which you can't even... I can't even describe mm. it properly myself, but I know what he went through because yeah. I went through it myself. Matthew Macklin just regained consciousness there and did speak to Jamie Moore. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, this week in Manchester there's been many standing ovations. I think this deserves the standing ovation of all this week. Please, two great fighters. I said before, Andrew, he was a quality fighter, and I said we should never be fighting for the British title. We should be fighting for the European. And I think on that performance, you've got to say, I think, because I believe I'm world-class now, and um, I'd say he's even edging towards world-class. I can't keep fighting like that. I've got three more years. I've promised my wife, Colleen, that I'll be done when I'm 30. Yeah, I'll have to be done when I'm 30, because I can't keep fighting like that, man. Part of my life on Talk Sport, Russ Williams and Spencer Oliver in the company of Jamie Moore, 
who's just won a monumental fight against Matthew Macklin. We've been through it, Spencer, haven't we? Blow by blow, um, and some of the memories that you've shared with the audience, absolutely fascinating. Uh, but, of course, the career did continue, didn't it, Jamie and Spencer? Yeah, absolutely. Listen, after the Macklin fight, you had nine more fights, winning seven and losing your last two. You would go down as one of the best British boxers never to win a world title. Why did you never get that world title shot? Uh, politics. I think Frank Maloney was my promoter at the time. During that period, Frank Warren was always the, uh, the, the number one promoter, and he generally seems to get people more opportunities at that time. Frank Warren dropped me when I lost my first fight to Scott Dixon, and 18 months later, I came in at five days notice and won the British title, made a few defences, and then Frank Warren was on the chase all the time. He was trying to sign me back. I'm a very loyal person by nature, and I always felt like he dropped me at the worst point in my career and then wanted me back when I was doing okay for myself. So I was like, nah, I'm not doing it. You know, I stick to my morals, and if I'm going to get there, I'll do it, and I'll make it whichever way. I don't need Frank Warren to do it. It never happened. Frank Warren probably could have done it for me at that time. But I have no regrets whatsoever about not getting the opportunity to fight for a world title because, as I say, I stuck to my morals. I can sleep at night. I didn't sell myself to try and get an opportunity. And a lot of people have asked me over the years, do you regret not fighting for the world title? And I don't, I don't regret anything in my life, not just in boxing, because it's made me the person I am today. I'm very comfortable in the person I am and the path what my life has led me to. I've been through some horrendous experiences, ups and downs, but we're all healthy, all my family are healthy, I'm happy and content. That's all what matters to me. Do I wish I was a world champion? Of course I do, but I don't. if I could change the course of my career, I wouldn't change it because that means that potentially I might be in a worse place than I am now for trying to gain something years ago what was never meant to be. It's interesting, Jamie, that... Matt Macklin in the ring and outside of the ring as a friend uh, has played a big part in your life and it went up to another level in a way. 2014, you're in southern Spain, Marbella area, you know, the playground of the rich and famous and one or two dubious individuals. <laughs> but you're training Matt Macklin, but then something happened to you that nobody, let alone you, saw it coming. Yeah. You, you, yeah. you were in Estepona which is yeah. just up the coast, isn't it? A little bit from Marbella. And all of a sudden, you thought it was somebody having a joke, didn't you, with a sort of rubbery mask on? Yeah, yeah. And were holding a toy gun, which turned out to be real, and you were shot three times. Yeah, yeah. Lots been, not said about this, but there's been words written, and I'm sure people have asked you questions. Do you genuinely have no idea? Who did that? Do you think it was mistaken identity, if so? It was mistaken identity because nobody right. would ever want to yeah. do that to me. Um, you're right. I was shocked. I thought it was a joke. So I was out. I, I'd never spent a weekend in Marbella. It was always... Um, I flew in on a Monday and I flew home on a Friday to see the kids. And it was Danny Vaughan's birthday, so we all stayed over. I stayed over that particular weekend because Matt had been to a press conference and then he said, I'm not back over till Wednesday, so don't fly out until Wednesday, but why don't you stay over? Because it's Danny's birthday. And uh, the place where I was staying, I got back to the, to the gates, walked through the gates, started walking towards the entrance. I just saw somebody come walking from behind a car and I looked and it was, they had like a mask on, pointing a gun at me, and I was like, 
I just assumed it was one of the lads who he was living with messing around. Mm. And then I turned around and started walk to walk towards him and said, you know what, that's not even funny. Thinking it's half two, three o'clock in the morning or whatever time it was. And then, bang, I just got shot. All, all I remember is just hitting the floor. Mm. I got shot in the hip and then I got shot. I felt my body shake. I didn't know where else I'd been shot at the time and I got shot through the leg and then one through the shoulder. And then I just heard him run over the climb over the wall and run. Do you think the discipline that you have as a boxer, it might sound a bizarre question, I've helped you to be composed? I know, I know what you're going to say, and I've said it before. In without that situation, a shadow of a doubt. Being shot three times. Without a shadow of a doubt, the stuff you learn from boxing or, or the way it teaches you to be, being calm under pressure, I wouldn't say so much stopping the blood in terms of I don't I did much about it because it, the amount I was bleeding was horrendous. I think you waited 25 minutes for an about, ambulance. About Probably 25 minutes. I had to ring my own ambulance. Your, I was on my own, so I had to ring my own ambulance. Yeah. But I sort of tried to stem the bleeding. I stayed still, totally didn't move because I knew if I started to get up and try and move around, I would lose more blood. So stuff like that, I've learned from boxing. I was in and out of consciousness. I think fitness, conditioning, because... I lost a hell of a lot of blood and just being able to still be conscious 20, 25 minutes later, mm. I shouted, I could hear the ambulance outside reversing, trying to find me because they was tracing my phone. If I wasn't conscious to shout them, I don't know if they'd, they'd have found me or not. I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason and it's hard to understand yeah. why at the time and then you can't connect the dots going forwards you can only connect them going backwards and for months afterwards I was thinking why has this happened to me I'm I'm not a bad person I don't do bad things did you try and find out various ways well, who who might have done it who did it do you ask questions it, or the, do you let it go the, what do you the, do the, the, well it was obviously nothing to do with me so in that sense you have to let it go because you, you drive yourself insane wondering why but why, you know, you say, why has this happened to me? It shouldn't have happened to me. Bad things happen to bad people, then it shouldn't have happened to me because I'm not a bad person. But then as the months went on, I, I, I appreciate or I started to understand that I appreciated every single little small part of life so much more than I did before. I've become spoiled in a way. I, I've come from nothing in terms of, you know, a lot of us have come from that place where we council estate kids come from absolutely nothing to the point where I was going on holiday two or three times a year, living a nice, enjoyable life. And I got to the point where I was booking a holiday and going, I don't even know where I really want to go on holiday. That situation seven years ago reevaluated the way I think or the way I view everything. Yeah. I, I haven't been back. No. And to be fair, I wanted to go back at one point because... I think this is a fighter thing where it's a, it's a bit of a an ego thing. You think, I'm not scared of going back there. And I wanted to go back to sort of exercise some demons myself. Relive it. But I'm actually totally okay with it now, I think. So what I'm saying to you about that everything happens for a reason thing is maybe that's happened for a reason so that I appreciate the stuff I've got more than I wasn't appreciating it then at that point in time. I, it got to the point where I was sort of taking everything for granted. Did you at any point at that time when you'd hit the floor, at any point did you think, this is it, I, I'm, I'm done? I, I actually said to the woman when I rang, I said, please, you need to get me, I'm bleeding heavily, I've got two kids at home, 
I can't die. And um, I remember being laid there thinking, this is it. And I, and I was so determined to stay awake because I thought if I fall asleep now, yeah. I might not never wake up. Your boxing career is over. You've had a tremendous career. You've now become a trainer and you're doing unbelievably well at that as well. Who have you got at the moment that we should be really excited about in your stable? Because I know that your stable at the moment is thriving. Yeah, yeah. So I've got 10 pro fighters at the moment. I've got Chantel Cameron, who's world champion. Jack Catterall. I've got a Kazakh lad, Tursun by Kalatmet. Um, I've got Akib Fiaz. Mark Leach, he's mandatory for the, for the British title. I've got Stephen Ward. Sean McGoldrick, who's going to be fighting for the Commonwealth title soon, hopefully. I've got Lerone Harrison, who's Oliver's son. Uh, Rocky Fielding. The gym's thriving at the moment. It's re it really is. The atmosphere is yeah. brilliant, they're, and and they're all learning off each other. It's uh, it really is good to see. Here comes the final question for you, Jamie. If, if you could change anything that you've done in your career, what would it be? Honestly, not one thing. For the reasons being, well, where we've just addressed it, I absolutely. I'm a big believer in everything happens for a reason. And if I went back, then I wouldn't be sat here with you now in this position. And I'm by far, by far a rich man, but I'm rich in happiness and I'm rich in love with my family. And I wouldn't change anything for the thing because I wouldn't want to change the way my life is right now. Jamie Moore, thank you for sharing fight of your life here on Talk Sports. It's been a pleasure, hasn't it, Spence? And uh, you got to talk to him directly on the air about round number nine and... Well, Fight listen, of the year number three. Russ, this goes down for me as one of the greatest British fights that ever happened. And yeah, it's just been an honour to talk to Jamie about it. It is Fight of My Life on Talk Sport with me, Russ Williams, him, Spencer Oliver. We're back with more boxing tales. Keep listening. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Britain feels broken, but how do we fix it? Westminster just doesn't seem to have the answers, but we have found some people who do. Join me, journalist Becca Hudson, and me, the former MP Ed Vasey, for How I'd Fix. From the price of a pint to the housing crisis, this is the show where we take an alternative look at the problems plaguing the nation. And hear practical solutions from those in the know. Catch new episodes of How I'd Fix wherever you get your podcasts. Rebuilding Britain starts here.